0: Hey guys, this is Margie Brown, an undergraduate student at Brigham Young University and a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I bring to you The Priesthood Diaries, an in-depth look at the restoration of the priesthood. Today, we're covering the restoration of pieces of the Melchizedek Priesthood, I'm not going to go over all of the Melchizedek priesthood in one episode because, as I've said before and I'll say it again, the Melchizedek priesthood is all-encompassing, which means that it starts with the visitation from Peter, James, and John all the way up to the restoration of priesthood for temple ordinances. Today, I'm primarily going to focus on the visitation from Peter, James, and John to Oliver, Cowdery and Joseph Smith. So let's dive right into this. Um, there's a lot to discuss today in the sense of, of what is known and what is unknown, and I'll actually start with one piece of information that is unknown, and that is the time in which the restoration of the Melchizedek Priesthood occurred for this first visitation. Some historians contest it. Some say, hey, it could be weeks after John the Baptist, and some say it could even be months the primary historians that are contesting this are actually previous and current staff at byu and i'm not saying that they're necessarily wrong or there's like contention it's just the looking at primary sources you can't just pin an exact date on this one as someone who's in a history program at byu The one thing we look at in primary sources is dates, and when it comes to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, they did not go home that night and say, today I received the Melchizedek priesthood from Peter, James, and John, and they don't date it. But what we do have is their accounts, but later on, and we can roughly put together as historians where it roughly occurred because we can watch how the church was organized when the church was organized leadership wise. We actually only have one firsthand account from Joseph Smith about the details of the vision from Peter, James, and John like that visitation and that's in our Doctrine and Covenants. That's our section 128. Just a friendly reminder that this is a letter so it's not just on Peter, James, and John appearing to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. Um, The primary verse on that is actually verse 20, and it's talking about how Peter, James, and John appeared to them and said that they held the keys, and that's about it. In October 1835, Joseph Smith does give a blessing to Oliver Cowdery. That was recorded, and it was recorded because it was actually Cowdery's patriarchal blessing, But in his blessing, it talked about Oliver receiving the priesthood and that he received the priesthood from those that received it under the hand of the Messiah. So Peter, James, and John in the New Testament got the priesthood from Jesus Christ. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't know if I would say that's a firsthand account from Joseph Smith, because it's not like he's writing to us, but it was more of a blessing to Oliver Cowdery. But I just want to put it out there that that's also a a record of the restoration of the priesthood, especially from Peter, James, and John, based on what it said, and it also came from Joseph Smith. It's not just Oliver Cowdery saying these things, and I don't think that Oliver Cowdery would just make these things up, nor Joseph Smith, but it's good to have corroboration, from a historian's point of view, and it just makes it easier for church historians or any historians. Oliver Cowdery doesn't go into much more detail than Joseph Smith talking about how Peter, James, and John came by, and one of uh, Oliver Cowdery's letters to a man named Phineas Young talks about how John and Peter were there for the Melchizedek Priesthood. There is a recount by a man named Reuben Miller in his journal. It's dated October 21st, 1848. He was talking about a discourse that Oliver Cowdery gave that he was with Joseph Smith when angels bestowed both the lesser and greater priesthoods. There's not very much to go off on the primary sources about what was said, but what I can tell you is some keys. in. We actually see the keys both in Doctrine and Covenants section 128 and also 27. Not 127, 27. And in 27, we see the keys that were given in verses 12 and 13. There are three keys in these verses. And the first one being the keys of apostleship, two keys of the kingdom, and three Keys of the Dispensation of the Fullness of Times. Keys of Apostleship is literally the calling of Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to be apostles. First thing I thought of was hey, but Joseph Smith, president of the church, like how does that work? If you actually go to the Bible dictionary, it explains that the word apostle means one sent forth. And Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith were obviously sent forth to do this work. So just realize just because it's the keys of apostleship doesn't mean that Joseph Smith wasn't supposed to be a prophet or even the president of the church. The Bible Dictionary further goes into how an apostle is a person that is supposed to be a special witness of the name of Jesus Christ. I guess what I'm trying to say is, don't mix up the keys of apostleship with the configuration of church leadership. For the keys of the kingdom, I found an amazing talk by Elder Bruce R. McConkie titled, The Keys of the Kingdom. And he has a wonderful definition for the keys of the kingdom. And I couldn't come up with a better definition, so I'm gonna just take it from him. And he says, the keys of the kingdom of God, are the right and power of eternal presidency by which the earthly kingdom is governed. What does that mean exactly? Well, Bruce R. McConkie further says that those that hold the keys of the kingdom are empowered to organize, preside over, govern, and regulate the kingdom of God on earth. Lastly is the keys of the dispensation of the fullness of times, which is pretty much the restoration and refreshment in which God designs to gather all things in one in Christ, which basically means missionary work. Now I want to go into the expansion of the priesthood regarding priesthood offices. And before I do that, I need to go over the chamber of Father Whitmer. I have to set the stage for this. So Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery are in Peter Whitmer Sr.'s house, and the part of the house that they were in was called the Chamber, hence the name the Chamber of Father Whitmer. Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were praying about the authority of the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. After some time in prayer, Joseph Smith recounts in his history that, quote, the word of the Lord came unto us. Before I continue, I feel like I need to address the word of the Lord. I have no idea what that looks like, whether it be Heavenly Father right there, or if it was just hearing the voice of the Lord. I can't tell you. I don't have enough information on that, and neither does any other church historian. To continue on from that, the word of the Lord came unto Joseph Smith, saying that he should ordain Oliver Cowdery to be an elder, and that Oliver Cowdery should ordain Joseph Smith to the same office. So what does the chamber of Father Whitmer mean consolidated? It means that it was the authorization to confer the gift of the Holy Ghost as elders. And that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery were ordained as elders. Now I'm going to go over the priesthood offices and I'm going to kind of overlap with what I had for the Ronic priesthood last week because the original Church of Christ in 1830 only had the offices of elder, priest, teacher, and deacon. And there were no deacons ordained until October 1831. The very first bishop was in February of 1831. That was Edward Partridge, and then in June of 1831, we have the high priest. In March 1832, we have the first presidency in December of 1834, we have our first patriarch, which was Joseph Smith Sr., and then we have the High Council in February 1834. At the time, it was actually in equal authority to the First Presidency and the Twelve Apostles. You can find that in D&C 107, verse 36. And then we have the Quorum of Seventy and Twelve Apostles in February 1835. Originally, an apostle was an elder. You actually see that in D&C 20, verse 38. So what what do I mean by that? I mean, when I say elder, think of the missionary elders. So it was apostle was a missionary, a person that was called to preach. It was not until 1835 that it developed into an office and a quorum. Another side thing to note was that there used to be an assistant or associate church president. This didn't occur until after Oliver Cowdery fell away from the church. Hiram Smith, who was a patriarch, was chosen by revelation to take the position of assistant president. The role of the assistant president was to stand as a joint witness with the prophet. If you actually went back in time and you were talking about what would happen if Joseph Smith died, who was supposed to take over church leadership, it actually would have been Hiram Smith, the assistant president. But they actually both died at the same time. This is what led to the confusion of who should be prophet after Hiram Smith and Joseph Smith died. Now there was such a thing as a senior apostle at the time and that was Brigham Young. So the line of succession that we see today comes from Brigham Young becoming the new ranking officer of the church. So why do we not see an assistant or associate church president today? Elder Bruce R. McConkie taught in his book Mormon Doctrine that since the kingdom was fully established and the two witnesses had left a binding testimony, it was no longer necessary to continue the office of assistant president which is why we don't see it in the church today. If you want to find any scriptural references to assistant or associate church president, go to DNC section 124 verses 91 through 95 and you'll see exactly what I just described. Other than the assistant church president and the beginning of the calling of apostles as missionaries is relatively the same today. Any worthy adult male can be ordained to the office of Melchizedek Priesthood. Just like the Aaronic Priesthood, you have to be worthy. The Aaronic Priesthood starts at a younger age. Melchizedek Priesthood is at an older age. One thing that Melchizedek Priesthood holders can do that Aaronic Priesthood holders can't do, which we see commonly occur, is the authority to minister to the sick and give special blessings to family members and even... Others And when I say, like, give blessings, it doesn't have to be to someone of this church. Sometimes people will ask, hey, can I get a blessing from a worthy Melchizedek Priesthood holder? And the Melchizedek Priesthood holder has the ability to give it to that person, even if they're not a member. When a man receives the Melchizedek Priesthood, he actually enters an oath and covenant. So he covenants to be faithful, magnifies calling give diligent heed to the words of eternal life and live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. And then those who keep this covenant will be sanctified by the Spirit and receive all that the Father hath. And we can see that in the Doctrine and Covenants in section 84 verses 33 through 44. And you can also find that under Melchizedek Priesthood on the church's webpage. Before I conclude today, I just want to say the church has a lot of resources regarding Melchizedek Priesthood. So if there's something that I didn't explain or you didn't understand something that I explained, the website or scriptures, there's a lot of resources about the Melchizedek Priesthood and the restoration of the Melchizedek Priesthood. And it's not just some mysterious thing that you have to look really hard for these resources they're accessible whether you have the gospel library app or you go to the church's webpage. the material the sources they're right there for you another great place to look about restoration questions is the joseph smith papers and but if it's just questions about the melchizedek priesthood the number one place i recommend is the church's website, and some general conference talks even. I used one of the general conference talks from Elder Bruce R. McConkie today, and sometimes it's because they teach really valuable truths, as you saw today, and sometimes they just say things better than I can say, which was also the case from Elder McConkie's talk that I used today. Anyways, that's the conclusion of today. Let the restoration continue.